Welcome to Living a Parable. This podcast is based on award-winning devotional, Living a Parable, Finding Lessons in Unlikely Experiences, written by author and motivational speaker, Sylvia Davis. In this podcast, we focus on the fact that God is always teaching, and even in the most mundane experiences in our lives, usually, if we dig just a little beneath the surface, there's a nugget of knowledge waiting. So, be sure to take out a pen and paper so that you can jot down whatever the Spirit brings to your mind and join me as we extract a lesson from this week's account of an unlikely experience. everyone and welcome to Living a Parable Podcast, the podcast where we remind you that life isn't something that happens to you, but something that happens for you. I'm your host, Sylvia Davis. Before we get rolling, I wanted to take a minute to do just a little housekeeping. First, I want to make sure that you know that the scriptures that I read from, as well as the ones whose thoughts or message I simply reference, I'm going to list those in the description. So in case you miss writing them down or don't want to write them down at the time, you'll always be able to go back and reference them and read them for yourself. Secondly, if you're enjoying listening, please remember to rate the podcast. Show some love and just click the stars. And then follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss new episodes. And please, please share. Just post a link to the podcast on your Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or send it in a text message, whatever is easiest for you. If you're enjoying the stories, then you will absolutely love my book, Living a Parable, Finding Lessons in Unlikely Experience. You can get a copy by ordering from your favorite bookstore, online at Barnes & Noble, and of course, at Amazon, where it has 52 ratings and a 95% five-star average, and it's currently on sale for like $4. So you can go there and read the reviews and check it out a little bit before deciding. And if you have a Kindle, you can also get an electronic copy, or if you're into listening to your books, it's also available as an Audible narrated by yours truly. The most common feedback I hear after someone reads it is it's a quick read, And they actually end up reading it twice, once for the stories, and then they go back and read it as a Bible study. And secondly, I've heard how it makes the reader think back to their own childhood, and I've enjoyed hearing those stories. Be sure to get your copy today. I've put a link to my site in the description of this podcast. And I saved the most important thing for last. Could you please say a prayer for me and for this effort? I get nervous. This... I get nervous and a little scared sometimes when I put these out because sharing God's word is a duty that you do not want to mess up. So if you could please pray that he guides me and my words and gives me the wisdom needed to continue in truth, I would so very much appreciate it. Speaking of truth, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. We have two children. Our son, Jacob, he's the oldest, but when he was a toddler, even though we didn't put him to sleep in our bed, he would always eventually end up there. He would come in, he'd he'd come in our room in the middle of the night and he would always climb on my side. It had to be my side. 
Then when he and I woke up in the morning, we would have this cute little sweet short conversation and go ahead and start our day. One morning when I woke up and I saw my precious three-year-old little baby boy laying there beside me, I I gave him a hug and I I just couldn't help myself. I gave him a hug and, and that's what woke him up. And then I leaned over and I gave him a kiss and I looked at those sweet brown eyes and I said to him, I said, good morning, sweetheart. And then his entire expression just kind of changed and he, he, he frowned and he pulled his face back and he looked at me and, and he said, mommy, your face stink. I all of a sudden turned to that three-year-old like he was a grown man. And I said, if you got a problem with my breath, you could take your little short cell phone out of my room. Fast forward a few years, and now Jacob is six. Jake hated to go to bed at night. And I I know that that's not strange. What child doesn't? But Jake was a master at doing things to keep himself awake. He would read. He would play Legos. We had to take all the toys out of his room. We had to do whatever we could think of to not have things in his room to stimulate him to keep him awake. So after many weeks of, of this, I mean, we would put him to bed only to find about an hour later, he's still awake. So after a while, I noticed that Jake was getting these dark circles under his eyes. And I called him into my room so that I could talk to him about it. I said, Jacob, you're staying up too late, honey, and you're getting dark circles under your eyes. And if you're going to stay up an hour longer than when I put you to bed, I'm going to start making you go to bed earlier. He looked at me and without even a moment of hesitation, like he had had this response already from the beginning, he looked at me and he said, mama, I don't have circle eyes. Circle eyes is what he called dark circles under the eyes. He said, mama, I don't have circle eyes because I go to sleep late. I have circle eyes because you wake me up early. The logic was there. I I cannot deny that. But regardless, I told him what I said was what I said. He said, yes, ma'am. And then he started to walk away. But then as he was walking away, he stopped short. And I thought to myself, oh, here you go. He turned around and he walked back towards me. He walked right up and stood in front of me. And then he stood on his tippy toes and he reached up with his little hand and he took his index finger and without saying a word, he drew imaginary outlines beneath each one of my eyes. And then he said, mama, you need to go to bed early too. In both of those circumstances, my child was right. I did have dark circles under my eyes and I know my morning breath could slay a dragon. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was asleep one time. I woke up. My head was under the blankets. I yawned and almost killed myself. But that is beside the point. It was truth. I didn't enjoy hearing it, but it was truth nonetheless. And when I think about Jacob and those events, I can't help but to think of how Christians telling the truth and standing up for Christianity is hard. (laughs) To many, Christian values are seen as outdated, and there is no shortage of people ready to approach a Christian with 
everything from genuine questions to outright mockery and opposition. So the question becomes, how are we to respond to questions that we know are only being asked to try to set us up? How should we respond to those who want to act like our beliefs are silly myths? You know, those people who say God is nothing but Santa Claus for an adult. And how do we stand up for the truth and meet that opposition without getting sucked into worthless, unproductive arguments and debates? The answer is simple. We follow the examples set by Christ. He was a master at this. Time after time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to trip Christ up with questions and accusations, but they never could. And the way Christ handled those questions and oppositions leave me in complete awe. And I'm doing my best to learn from him and to learn how to respond without getting emotionally carried away. As I was studying I saw at least what I consider to be five different techniques that Christ used to tell the truth when he saw that he was being set up or when he noticed traps disguised as questions. And I want to share those techniques with you, at least what I what I found, and, and hopefully they'll be helpful for you as well. So technique number one, he started his answer to their question with a question. Have you ever tried to figure out the answer to a question and you're stumped, but then the question is presented in a different way and all of a sudden the lights come on? Christ started most of his replies to a question with a question, something to make the person think. They they had to really think about what he was asking them. An example of this is in Matthew 12, 9 through 14. In this passage, we're told of a man who had a withered hand, and to try and trap Christ, the Pharisees asked if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath, because, of course, the Sabbath was a day when no work at all was supposed to be done. And Christ replied with a question. In verse 11, it says, he said to them, what man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? He knew, he knew that they would know it would be okay to save that sheep. So he continued and he asked in verse 12, how much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Christ could have just said, yes, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But instead he gave them a question to reflect on. Technique number two, Jesus used accounts from history that he knew they would have all been familiar with. And for us, this is that history is the Old Testament. In Mark 7, 1 through 13, the Pharisees were again trying to point out something that Christ's disciples were doing that they considered wrong. In this case, it was the eating of their bread without first carefully washing their hands. Now, there was no commandment that stated that the disciples had to wash their hands in this way. This was rather a man-made tradition that was being treated as though it was a command. And when they questioned Jesus about it, Jesus answered them by referring to what we know as Isaiah 29, 13, Jesus tells them that they honor God with their lips, 
but their hearts are nowhere near him. And of course, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but they, they hold on to their man-made traditions and they actually were dismissing God's actual commands. This technique I actually find to be the easiest because we can rely on the word of God provided we we know it so that we know how to use it. But I, I love this technique because we can point those who oppose us back to the word. And even if they don't believe in the word, we can rest assured in our answer because we believe in the word. So just be sure that if you're going to use technique number two, that you are in your Bible and you are studying because that is how you will get the answers to a lot of the questions that come your way and a lot of the oppositions that come your way. Technique number three, Jesus points a mirror. There is no better example of this than the account of the woman who was caught in adultery. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your faith is. You have heard this one. Maybe you don't know where it comes from, but you have heard this one. In John 8 verses 311, it tells what happened and how Christ handled it. So they brought this woman before Jesus and said that the law said that she was to be stoned because she was caught in the act of adultery. So they asked Jesus specifically, what do you say? They're they're trying to catch him. They're trying to trip him up. And I love this. Jesus didn't pay them any mind. He stooped down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. I really wish I knew what he was writing, but whatever. But they kept asking. And because they wouldn't stop asking, he stood back up. In verse seven, it shows that he says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped back down and went back to writing again on the ground. He forced all of them, all of them who had a rock in their hand, he forced all of them to take a long look at themselves. And then one by one, all of these people who were ready to stone her, they left. There are times when standing up for right and telling the truth and getting others to see it means you might not have to do anything more than get them to take a good, honest look at themselves. Technique number four, he didn't answer at all. This time in Matthew 21 verses 23 through 27, The chief priests and the elders came to Jesus while he was teaching, and they asked him by what authority he was teaching. He put them in a straight quid pro quo scenario. He told them he was going to ask them a question, and if they answered his question, then he'd answer theirs. So in verse 25, he asked them, the baptism of John was from what source? From heaven? or from men. They knew if they said from heaven that they'd have to explain why they didn't believe him. And they knew that if they said it was from men, that that would upset the people because the people believed that John was a prophet. So they definitely didn't want to stir up the public. I mean, these these were politicians for real back in the day. So instead of answering Christ Instead of answering his question forthright and telling him what they really thought, they said, we don't know. (laughs) Christ said, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
And what I love about this technique, oh, this one's awesome. And what I love about it is that it reminds me that it's okay and sometimes even necessary to just walk away. I sometimes feel like I have to continue the back and forth, but what good does that do when the person I'm talking to isn't asking questions from a place of wanting to know more or even from genuine curiosity, but rather wanting to use the opportunity to degrade or to continue an argument, knowing that they're not going to change their mind no matter what I say. We are within our rights to walk away from such people. And this situation always brings to mind Matthew 7, verse 6, where Christ says not to throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In other words, we really shouldn't waste time trying to give something of value to someone who not only won't appreciate it, but will become angry at you for even offering. And finally, there's the fifth technique. He just answered. This was probably the least used technique of them all, but it's still powerful. It's not often that we can find when Jesus was asked a question where his answer didn't contain a question of its own, but there are those times when Jesus just simply answered the question with the truth. In Matthew 22, verses 34 through 38, A Pharisee, who was a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. He asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus straight up just replied with the answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he even went on to include the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. No question of his own, no parable, no push to self-reflect. He just stated the truth. When I think back to those moments with Jacob, I think of how my son was just telling the truth. No ill will intended, just the truth. So many of us have turned into people who live by, tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to know. The world doesn't want to hear the answers we have to some of their questions because the answers aren't popular. They aren't keeping with the times. And often these answers aren't considered politically correct. But hopefully we can learn from Christ about how to tell the truth and how to answer when we are questioned and how to have the courage to answer when we're questioned. How many times have you kept your Christian viewpoint to yourself because You were afraid to voice it because you feared backlash or because you were afraid you would lose a friend or your parents would be shocked that you've decided to follow Christ. Christ knew that following him would cost us some relationships. He even says so in Luke 12 verses 51 through 53. He tells us that he came to divide and that division would even split up households. We can't follow Christ and follow the world. It just does not work that way. We have to be able to stand in the face of opposition and have the courage and the wisdom to speak truthfully. In this world, especially with social media, it is so easy to get pulled into a back and forth debate or an absolute argument. And I challenge you, 
to really pray about how to respond in such situations and to study how Christ responded and then follow his examples. And as for Jacob, I'm so happy I didn't go through with my plan to give him up for adoption. He grew up to be one of the sweetest people I know and no surprise, also one of the most honest people I know. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Living a Parable Podcast, brought to you by award-winning author and motivational speaker, Sylvia Davis. Be sure to follow this podcast and tune in every Monday for a new episode. And for even more stories and lessons like the one you heard today, visit www.livingaparable.com to order your copy of Living a Parable, Finding Lessons in Unlikely Experiences, available in paperback, ebook, and audible. So until next time, my friends, be blessed.